Welcome to this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, we're talking about Chaguno's Romeo et Juliette, Eric, from 1867, I believe. Yeah, Charles Gounod, a classic French lyric opera composer. He uh, is just a, a master of melodic charm. He's, I think, come under some fire, I think, in, in recent years just because he delves into subjects like Faust and Romeo and Juliet and and doesn't delve, you know, as deeply as, say, a Richard Wagner might if he were tackling the same subject matter or a, or a Giuseppe Verdi for that matter. You know, with Faust, he chose to just focus on the love story and pretty much the same thing with Romeo and Juliet. But the thing is, he does, he goes for the pretty, you know, there's no question about it, but right. nobody does pretty like Charles Gounod uh, or Jules Massenet or any of the, the great French lyric composers. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for uh, lyric charm in the way that it's embodied in French lyric opera, because you don't find it anywhere else in, in that, that particular brand of, of lyric beauty. Explain what you mean when you use the term lyric. Mm. In this instance, we're talking about lyric as opposed to uh, grand opera. Grand opera is Verdi and Wagner. Typically, it tends to go big. It tends to go big spectacle and, and um, really sort of big declamatory vocal writing. Uh, lyric opera does not. Uh, it's, it's written for lyric voices as opposed to spinto and dramatic voices. It's written for voices that are more youthful sounding, that are more traditionally beautiful, you know, to the human ear as opposed to a dramatic voice like, I don't know, a Birgit Nilsson or an Eva Martone. A lyric voice is more like a Morella Freni or um, somebody who's currently singing uh, who is a lyric would be Renee Fleming. How does that term lyric relate to bel canto, for example, Donizetti? Uh, typically, uh, a lyric will uh, switch very easily between the two uh, genres of French lyric and bel canto. It's a, it's a very simple switch. The same fundamentals of, well, the bel canto technique is really all about being able to sing anything. But the French lyric style really lends itself to those basic fundamentals of legato, singing long melodic lines, um, singing lyrically as opposed to dramatically or declamatory singing. So when we talk about Gounod as an exemplar of this French lyric style, who else do we include there? Massenet? Massenet, certainly. Offenbach, uh, Chabrier. That's uh, a little bit of a lesser known name today. So yeah, you have the French lyric composers who sort of followed the French grand opera composers, and those were Berlioz and Meyerbeer. And while you still have the fundamentals of a, of a lyric technique, you're asking the voices to get over a much larger force of orchestra and chorus oftentimes. In French grand opera, you have much bigger spectacle, grander themes, whereas French lyric opera is going to focus more on uh, less the kings and queens and the, and the historical figures as, a, as they are on you know, the Romeo and Juliet's of the world, who aren't necessarily royalty. It's a, it's a very human story, and it's very simple in, in its construct. And there's and an may, intimacy there. Mm -hmm, very much so. You may have crowd scenes, but you won't have the big grand spectacle that you would in a French grand opera like, um, well, like Aida is right. really in the French grand opera style, even though it's in Italian. Right. So here, let's talk about Gounod's treatment of Romeo and Juliet. He's drawing from 
the Shakespeare play. Absolutely. And how faithful is he to that? He's pretty faithful. I mean, he has to trim, you know, a bit to fit it into the, the confines of, a, of an opera, but he, he's, it's a five-act structure. And um, most of what's in Shakespeare is, is there. He opens, you know, in the uh, big party that, that you see in, in Shakespeare where Romeo and Juliet meet for the first time and fall instantly in love. And, you know, all the, all the moments are there. The, the balcony scene is, I mean, the second act is the balcony, balcony scene. scene. right? You even have Mercutio's Mab soliloquy and, uh, you know, some of those things come pretty much intact from Shakespeare, translated, obviously, into a French libretto, not word for word, but still. Obviously, in the story of Romeo and Juliet, you've got Romeo and you've got Juliet. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the other standout characters in uh, Gounod's treatment of the story. They're kind of the same people that stand out in the Shakespeare, actually. I mean, the friar who has... Friar Lawrence. Friar Lawrence, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, who has uh, a nice aria, Dieu qui fit l'homme à ton image. Um, Mercutio with his Mab aria. The nurse, the Capulets, the Montagues, they all have roughly the same importance in Gounod that they do in the Shakespeare. Uh, but obviously, it, it's the tenor and the sopranos show. The, they have the two most famous arias in the whole piece, and they're actually famous outside of this piece. Juliet has this um, beautiful waltz song that uh, she has in the first act called Je veux vivre. It's just, uh, you know, you, you can hardly keep yourself uh, in your chair when you hear it if it's, if it's sung really well. And then Romeo in act two has this gorgeous, gorgeous aria called A Lève-toi Soleil. It is a standard in, in the tenored repertoire any lyric tenor worth his salt uh, is going to have a stab at this aria, and it's um, it's oh, it's it's really beautiful. And what is he singing about? He is waiting for Juliet to awaken and come out onto the balcony. This is before the big duet that comprises the balcony scene, and uh, he's very eager to see her. <laughs> <laughs> so, really, then, what we're talking about with regard to Romeo et Juliette is that we've got a fairly literal adaptation from the Shakespeare play where the focus is on just the creation of gorgeous melodies. Yes, at the service of a timeless love story. I mean, arguably the greatest love story ever told. And yes, he is fairly faithful. And, and, and the end happens just as it does in the Shakespeare Friar Lawrence, because, you know, the families are at war. They can't be together because the families are pulling them apart. So Friar Lawrence devises a subterfuge to try to to get them to be able to run off together. And he gives Juliet uh, a potion that will simulate death. The problem is neither of them thought to to let Romeo in on on the subterfuge. So she takes the potion and, and it indeed, she appears to be dead and he comes upon her and really believes her to be dead. And so he takes a real poison and uh, ingests it. And as he's starting to fade, she wakes up. And he suddenly realizes, oh, shoot. (laughs) And he dies. And she then, not wanting to live without him, but uh, he having ingested all of the poison and left none for her because he didn't think he needed to. Uh, she takes his dagger and stabs herself and they, they, they die They die together. happily ever after. Yeah, right. 
And that's where the opera ends. Yeah, it does. And, and the, the families find them and, and are justifiably devastated and uh, hopefully shamed into uh, rethinking their little feud. It's very poignant. It's very sad in, in, a, in a sort of sweet sadness at the end. And that's really what Gounod brings to this that's unique to, to music. He can put that sense of sweet sadness that Shakespeare brilliantly puts into words, and he manages to interpret that in his music in, in a way that, you know, maybe another composer may, another composer may not have uh, been able to do. Um, certainly we have Tchaikovsky mm-hmm. and uh, Prokofiev and other people have done it in different ways, but Gounod's is, is unique to Gounod, and it, it's definitely worth a listen, and it's definitely worth seeing if you have a chance to see it in the theater. Well, that's Charles Gounod's Romeo et Juliette. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.